We're momming today with Amy Neville. She is the founder of the Alexander Neville Foundation. She started that organization because her 14-year-old, Alexander, uh, overdosed by accident um, on fentanyl. It's uh... Amy, when did this happen? Uh, it was June of 2023. I mean, oh my gosh, why would we still, that wouldn't have happened yet, right? Uh, it was June of 2020. June of 2020, we lost Alexander. And, you know, just to refresh our memories, I, I know fentanyl is all in the news now, but did we, people really know what it was? No, at the, t- at the time of Alexander's death, we did not know about fentanyl. Had we, we'd have a very different outcome right now. But Amy, he wasn't a drug user. He was he was in what, you know, was considered the experimental phase. It had maybe didn't been 10 days at the most he had been experimenting. Um, you know, we we knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. And I was talked to him. I'm like, what is going on, dude? Like something's off. I'm going to take you to the doctor. No, I was up too late, not feeling well. How did you know something was off? What what did you notice? What signs? Um, the the mood swings were really intense where it was really the start of it but you know that also looks like puberty and alex was a very intense kid to begin with so it it was off but still seemed in line with his personality if that makes sense uh and he was having stomach pains um he was just looked like he was constantly tired like he just wasn't feeling well in general and the what drug caused that or was it fentanyl this whole time and you just no one knew oh no it was it was um there's this misconception out there that kids these days you know that it, they start with the prescription pills and then they turn to drugs on the street but that they don't have to do that anymore these they're so readily available through social media platforms that 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 little path to addiction or path to experimenting or substance use disorder however we want to refer to it is It's not the same as it used to be. Uh, Alex thought he was getting an oxycodone and it turned out the pill that took his life was, it was one pill. Like I said, he thought it was oxycodone and it had enough fentanyl in it to kill four people. That one pill, did anybody else die from this drug? Uh, Oh yes. Um, So kind of give you a little background here. So that week that things were really off with Alex and I was bugging him about going to the doctor. He sat us down and said, hey, I got to talk to you guys. I wanted to experiment with Oxy. I got it from a dealer on Snapchat. It has a hold on me and I don't know why. We thought we were prepared for this moment as his parents because we knew this kid was going to have an experimental phase just based on his behavior in general and and his interests. And we'd always had these conversations about the latest and greatest in uh, illicit drugs and what, what it does to his mind and his body and really to try to deter him from those kind of choices and give him alternatives. Like he was a very involved Boy Scout. He skateboarded. He had an eBay business. Like he was an involved kiddo. Uh, but, you know, his curiosity was really great and get, no one was talking about fentanyl at the time. So, you know, when he told us what happened, we, what was going on, we believed it was very much somebody stole grandma's pills and is selling them to friends. Right. So we called the following morning to get him help. And that night, sometime after nine o'clock, he took the pill that took his life. Oh my God. I, I just want to back up a little bit because I, I think this is what so many parents need to hear and, and need to need to know. Your son actually approached you and said, mm-hmm. Hey mom, hey dad, I have a problem or I think I have a problem. Mm-hmm. We, uh, yeah, he absolutely told us, uh, but we were very open with him. Like, like, like him talking to us about what was going on in his life was not an uncommon occurrence. This wasn't, you know, 
it didn't surprise us that he came to us with this because that is the relationship we had with our kiddo. You know, when you talk about all the things you're supposed to do with your kids and be connected to them, we could check all those boxes, you know, but yet we're still here. Like it, it, it it's very confusing, but again, that is because we ha- were missing a little piece of information being fentanyl. And you had asked me about, you know, did anyone else die? Well, a couple months later, this mom reaches out to me and says, you know, are you this person? I'm like, yeah. And she shows me some pictures off her son's phone. Um, and I was able to piece together that somebody died in the drug dealer's apartment two weeks before Alex and her son died two weeks after Alex. Same dealer. Same dealer. Same Where's that dealer. Where is that dealer? Um, as far as I know, he's still in the community. This happened on social media. This happened on Snapchat. Yeah, Alex told us specifically Snapchat. And a friend of his later, I asked her like, hey, do you know where he got him? And she gave me the Snapchat dealer's information. Um, and then fast forward, um, the DEA tells me that they can see that Alex and this dealer were connected on Snapchat, but they, of course, can't see what they talked about because so much time had passed by the time Snapchat answered the subpoenas. And you're on Capitol Hill talking about all this. And I, I want to know the answers that you're getting from lawmakers and from the company when we're momming today returns right after the short break. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. We're back on We're Momming Today with Amy Neville, the founder of the Alexander Neville Foundation. Um, So the DEA, as you say, uh, Amy, was able to look at Alex's phone and his Snapchat conversations with the specific dealer that murdered him by probably knowingly selling him the laced oxycodone pill. So how is it okay? It's 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 okay with who? I don't. I it's not okay with me. The only people that I think it's okay with is the social media companies. You know, they're very well protected, uh, and. I believe that they're doing very little to to take care of these problems. They tell us that they're doing a lot of things to take care of these problems, but there's no way to verify that. They want us to take their word for it. But what do they say they're doing? Like, uh, what do they say they're doing? And as a parent, what do we have to know if our kids are on social media? Because they all are. So one of the big things uh, Snapchat likes to promote is that they have this parent center, right? So now as a parent, you have to go create an account. You can connect with your kid and you can see who your kid is talking to but you cannot see what they're talking about. And they kind of equate that to, well, when your kid's friends come over, you don't go in the bedroom and listen to the conversation. But my argument to that is, you're right, I I might not go in there, but you know what? I have that option because it's right there in my home and I can vet that kid when they come over. We can talk, I can ask them about their family, I can learn about that kid. And kind of my mom instincts can kind of kick in and I can know what we're what we're dealing with. And you then could put a camera in the room. You could absolutely there's a lot we could do. And then well, and besides, when they go back into that room, they still have Snapchat. It doesn't change any of that. Yeah. Uh so the dangers are still very much there, still very present. Uh and it, it seems that they're doing the bare minimum to get it done. Uh Laura Marquez Garrett from the Social Media Victims Law Center put it, explained it perfectly in that roundtable last week about how they can turn up the dial on these things and and it basically see how it impacts our profits, profits, uh, turn up the dial on protections, and then if it impacts our profits too much, they can turn down the dial on the protections, and you know, kind of let things open that back up. That was suggested. That was suggested specifically. Pardon me. Say it again. That, that was suggested significantly. Yeah. Um, to yeah, Snapchat. Well, 
my understanding from Laura is that it is actually a capability that they have right now. I mean, they have, I mean, think about it. Think about when you, you search a pair of shoes, right? That pair of shoes follows you around for months, right? So we know that they can have that data on us. Why don't they have this data on these drug dealers or, or what? Do they not have it or they're just not sharing it? I, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because on Snapchat, again, I'm, I'm heavily picking on Snapchat. Yes. And I think, I think they have the, the capabilities all along, right? If they can track us and keep all that data on us to advertise, advertise, advertise at us, they definitely have the information to stop these drug dealers or I, any other harms for that matter. I spoke to um, a mother and she had said a similar situation to yours. And she got her child's phone and, and she would, and the police were there. And she said, look, th- this is who sold him the drugs. Let you're here. The police officer is there. Let's let me pretend on my son. Do, they don't know about this overdose. Buy drugs right now. There you go. You have your dealer. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no, we can't do that. Why? Why? Can't Why are, that's what I wanted to know. Why are we protecting the dealer who's killing yeah. young Americans? Well, I know that in Alex's case, they set up a, the DEA set up a buy from this dealer. My dogs are fighting. They don't ever do that. I swear. I don't know what their problem is right now. They're normally very nice. I'm um, sorry. This, so I set up a buy from this dealer and about 12 hours before it was about to happen, it disappeared. And they don't know who tipped him off, how they tipped him off, who removed his account, but he's gone. He's gone in that capacity. You know, they can just set up another account. So it's not like that really means anything. They're still out there selling these drugs. Whether what is it? Uh, someone told me there's um an actual drug menu specific to social media. There's well, there's various drug menus. You know, all these dealers have their own own drug menus. They put them in their stories. You know, so they disappear after a while. They show them to you in chats. Uh, so they are. Who do you have to look for? Like, if I were to take my child's phone, like, what? It's not going to say drugs on it. Like, no, you're going to look for various emojis. So the DEA has a great sheet on their website that shows you the drug emoji code that you can look at. But of course, that's ever changing. So we have to kind of be wise to what we're doing. Uh, If they have friends with the plug, the the little electrical cord plug in their profile, that's probably a drug dealer because they're giving you the hookup. You know, they're hooking you up. Oh. So oh. something to look for. But you know what I usually advise parents because I know when I talk to parents, I travel the country presenting on these topics all the time. And of course, the knee-jerk reaction is to want to go get their kid's phone and take Snapchat off of it or any other social media for that matter. But that's only going to create more divide in the house, right? So I recommend that parents go to their kids and say, hey, what do you know about drugs on Snapchat? And the way their kiddo will answer that question is going to tell them everything they need to know. First of all, our teens love to know more than us, right? So they're going to give us all the information we need in that moment to know if they're up to something or if they've had experience in this. And then the flip side of that is I've heard lots from lots of parents who will tell me, well, my kid didn't know anything about drugs on Snapchat, but they're being extensively bullied or someone sending them inappropriate pictures. Uh, but they think that's just the way it is because it's social media and it's a great opportunity to talk about boundaries online. So there's good conversation, I think, is probably the most important thing we can do. And what what if they um, 
What if you get a lot of details in your answer when you ask your kid? You get a lot of details in your answer. I think there's probably some cause for concern. Um, and then maybe that's where you start. Well, you know, can I see some of your snaps? Do you have any examples of these snaps? You know, and our job as a parent is not to freak out, right? Because it would be so easy to go down that path of like, you shouldn't do this. Don't do this. I thought you were smarter than this, whatever, whatever situation may be. Right. Uh, and rec- we need to recognize that our kids are just having this lived experience that we have not have had yet. And we really do need to defer to them and learn from them on this subject. So <laughs> Amy, maybe when you were young or, you know, even 10 years ago, you could be a casual drug user. You could mm-hmm. experiment with drugs and still mm-hmm. live to tell about it. Absolutely. In the fentanyl age, you can't. And fentanyl is yeah, stronger. There's no time. There's absolutely no time. And, you know, these kids are, they're groomed on these platforms. I've learned this from talking to the youth. They get groomed. They think these dealers are their friends. You know, Can it's you a talk very... about that a little bit more. I mean, I, I feel like that's such, that's a strong word groomed on the platform. Sure. Sure. So these kids are at a vulnerable time in life, right? They want to be treated more grown up, but yet they still need a ride from mom and dad or 20 bucks to do whatever it is that they're going to go do. They still need permission to do things. And these dealers come in and tell them, oh, you're so cool. I really like your style. You're really funny. And next thing you know, they've developed this relationship where this older, coolish person to them has taken an interest. And then, you know, eight to 10 interactions later, they're getting offered something that they might not have ever normally done, but because they're suddenly in with this older person who they trust and think thinks is their friend, it would never hurt them. And then if it, from there, the kind of the next steps of that, if they get through that experimental phase, it turns into, wow, your friends really respect you. You have a lot of clout within your friend group. Maybe you should try selling them these pills. Oh, and then they make the child or the teenager, the dealer. Yeah. Yeah, they groom them right into being dealers. What age? Well, um, Snapchat and other social media platforms say that they're good for as young as 13. The Apple Store has 12 and up listed on Snapchat's, um, um, I don't know what it's called on there, in the Apple app, in the App Store. It says that Snapchat's good for 12 and up. So, you know, and we know that kids are on there that have lied about their age, but there's ways that for them to realize how old these kids actually are. I mean, they know everything about us. You can tell by who their friend circle is, the things they're looking at on their facial recognition software can get, guess how old somebody is. So there's ways to know, even if these kids are lying about how old they are or these drug dealers for that matter, right? One of the things Snapchat came out with last year was that, well, in order for an adult to be able to contact your kid on there, they have to have five friends in common. Well, if I'm a predator, what's my solution to that? I'm going to lie about my age. Big deal, right? Easy, easy solution right there to my problems if I'm a criminal. Is it true? I believe it was your foundation. Correct me if I'm wrong. A foundation put out um, data showing that the biggest increase in fentanyl overdose deaths was 14 and under. Um, that was Families Against Fentanyl, mm-hmm. and they have amazing data on their website. And yes, they are, you know, the 12 to 17-year-old is the fastest growing demographic of death, but they were showing that 14 and under has grown, well, I think it was the 1,200% in the last couple of years. The the thing that concerns me more is, is the vulnerability of that age group. Oh, absolutely. We all, I mean, my children are a little bit younger. I, I, I don't even know when, maybe you can tell me I should start having this conversation with them. If you're thinking about it, it's time to have the conversation with them. Seriously? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't not knowing if they're on social media or not, but really talking about that body autonomy and how you can do healthy things, you know, to take care, make healthy decisions about what you put into your body, choices somebody and how people might try to deceive you and trick you into taking something that's not good for you. If we, if we can really get through that eight to 11 year old group, we're going to break the cycle. I don't have the magic answer for that. I think about that constantly. That's what keeps me up at night. Like, how do we break this cycle? And they're going to be key to that. I just not sure what the method is. You know, Alex was very interested in drugs at the first drug prevention week in elementary school, first grade. He's like, tell me more about what this means. So we knew we were going to have trouble. Right. But part of making it so interesting is how these drug prevention weeks, they gamify it. They tell you to, you know, wear pajamas to dream away drugs, wear cowboy clothes to give drugs the boot. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure there's no 16 year old out there that says to their friends, hey guys, remember when we were in third grade and we wore cowboy clothes to give drugs the boot? Oh, we shouldn't do drugs. Like that's not happening. It's just making it fun and gamifying it for elementary school kids. Do you remember in, I think it was the 80s, it could have been the 90s, this is your egg, this is your, yes. this is your egg, this is your fried <laughs> egg in the pan, this is your brain on crack. Was that effective? Uh, I think it was for a time, but, you know, as anything, it becomes pop culture right? Yeah. So, so we if, have to stay ahead of it. What, what I don't, I, how does the sheer danger of one pill can kill, of story after story, hey, so-and-so thought he was taking basically medicine mm-hmm. and some lethal chemical was put in it and they died and it's happening over and over and over again. Well, I will I'm tell you, kids. sorry, I will, there's a couple of key things to that. One of them is we talk about these deaths in the concept of poisoning because um, in even those with substance use disorder, they're not, some, they're not getting what they think they're getting sometimes, or it's by design that they've been, uh, they've been hooked on fentanyl. Right. So it's a poisoning just for them as it was for somebody like Alex, who was in this very early stage. But first of all, if Alex had taken a real oxy, he'd still be with us. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, he was deceptively sold something under the guise of something else that is a poisoning and poisoning is also a concept that parents can relate to, you know, over, you hear overdose and you think, Oh, we don't have a drug problem in our house. So that can't happen here. But poisoning from the second we're pregnant, you know, we're putting away the poisons. We're putting locks on the, on the cabinets. We're going to make sure our kids cannot get into poison. So that makes it relatable to parents. And then the second thing is when I first started this work, and parents would say to me, oh, my kid would never do that. And first I had a chip on my shoulder. I was like, okay, well, my kid did. So what is your perception of kids that do this? I got better at responding to that and giving them real examples of kids. I tell them, okay, your kid might not do it the way Alexander did it, but could your kid be the young lady that went off to college, first big party of the year, menstrual cramps really bad, and a friend says, oh, here, take something for that, and she's gone. Or the young man who was nervous about a first date and never done drugs before, the friend gives him a Xanax to take the edge off, and he's gone. And so giving them real examples like that gets gets them thinking like, okay, that could happen. And then, of course, there's this whole other Adderall side of things going on right now where college students are really into Adderall because it's so big. I mean, I remember it was big when I was in school. It's it's yeah, like- it's still big. But, you know, now it's counterfeit and and it's, it's just basically meth with fentanyl. So it, there's going to be a time where a point where 
you know, that is going to take somebody and they're just trying to. It's mental. I'm sorry for interrupting. You're just giving me like so much information that I I, I can't even digest. Like Adderall is supposed to keep you concentrated, but there's fentanyl in it, which knocks you out. Yeah. Well, here's the, the, here's, okay. So let me back up a little bit. So these counterfeit pills, we, they get talked a, a lot about being laced with, there's no, no such thing as a laced counterfeit pill, right? No one's grinding up oxy, putting in fentanyl and reproducing the product, repressing these pills. It is just the binding powder fentanyl mixed up, thrown through a pill press to look like some other pill. And that includes Adderall and Xanax and Percocet and Oxy. You, if it's a pill and it's being, re, you know, being made counterfeited, it's going to have fentanyl in it. And then there's cocaine and meth and everything else being um, laced with it. And so you think about, okay, why would you lace cocaine or meth with fentanyl? And that's because fentanyl is so highly addictive that this meth user that might go see their dealer a couple times a week is now seeing them daily and needing more because they are addicted to the fentanyl. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, um, the more you talk about this and activate for, I, I, I guess, real, sim- real simple, what, what exactly are you advocating for? So I, I feel like my time is best spent on the social media side of things and really legislating for um, or advocating for change within our our social media systems and, and coming up with some kind of policies, legislation, whatever it is that they have to follow to do better to take care of our kids on these platforms. I mean, Snapchat is not a product that we use. We are the product that Snapchat uses to sell advertisers. They sell us all day long. And so if we're going to put ourselves in those situations, they have to do better for us. You know, if we're going to put ourselves out there and help them make money, they need to take care of us while we're there. And when when you say that to them, what do they say? That's the tactic I've been using with youth lately because, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, I'm in charge of my life. No one's going to tell me what to do. And it's like, well, actually, let me tell you how Snapchat is is telling you what to do all day long. Why do you think they have the snap streak to keep you on, to sell the, to sell you to these advertisers? So, you know, take back the power from them. You know, we have to figure out how are we going to take back the power? We've believed these companies up until the last couple of years on how, look at how great we are at connecting people and how wonderful it is. And we've all experienced that side of these things, right? But there is a dark side that is just as as deep as, as the light side to this. And we need to really get that out there and get people to understand it goes far beyond sex trafficking and bullies. When you say that to an eight to 11 year old, a 14 year old, what is their reaction? They're always, I've never heard they're, always, like that. they're always surprised. It's always like, huh? And then we talk about it a little bit and I'll ask them about, well, how's your snap streak? And, or how do you feel when you, you can't get back on and maintain a snap streak or, and then it's like, oh, I get nervous. I get anxious. I get upset. I get mad at my parents for not letting me have my phone. I'm like, yeah, that, that's not healthy. That's not a healthy behavior. You know, we should be able to live without that for a day. You know, mm-hmm. but they've hooked us in. They've drawn us in and gamified it and made it this thing that we have to do. Yeah, yeah. Where where are the the, the product and <laughs> but but if if you're a social media company, I mean, the drug dealers aren't buying advertising, so right. why would they just want them off the site for the sake of humanity? 
Right. Well, <laughs> because they're also getting, you know, they're, they're the product too, just like the kids are right. So it's just more users on the platform. Something interesting happened last week after the round table. And that was uh, Jim Carroll from the safety board and Jen Stout, the VP of global policy for Snapchat, both came out and basically said the same thing. And the gist of it was that, well, the reason uh, it's so prevalent on our platforms is because we're so popular with teens. Okay. Well, let's break that down for a second. Snapchat is number four in popularity with teens. TikTok, Instagram, and I believe it's YouTube are the top three, right? You're right. Yes. Those top three do not have the drug issue that Snapchat has. Granted, they are not without problem or without drugs on their platforms. They do not get to get out of jail free card here. But when it comes to the drug issue, it is uniquely Snapchat. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't happen on those other platforms. It's just overwhelmingly happening on Snapchat. So they can say it's because they're so popular, but there's proof to the contrary. How are you doing to your future? Um, how am I doing? I'm doing, is that an answer? Um, yeah, you told me earlier you were, um, Alex was 14 and you're going to keep at this mm -hmm. as long as his friends, his peers are. Well, I'm going to keep at it in Orange County, California, keep myself really tied to that area until at least his friends graduate high school. But at the rate things are going, there's no wind in sight. You know, um, I will always be fighting this, the social media issue until it's fixed. And unfortunately, I know the drug problem is going to change, right? Uh, we already know, we already see these other drugs on the horizon that are even deadlier. So I know, I know there's going to be a whole new crop of parents like myself with some other drug. And I hope that I can be there for them and help them with their advocacy and really get them set up in a way that they can hit the ground running and talking about whatever the next big thing is. You helped me. <laughs> Good. Good. I hope, you know, one person is all I need to help. Amy, thank you. Thank you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.